We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? I like men like that. Men who give me pleasure. I've never had feelings like this. I have to get them into some sort of order. If you have to talk, remember to ask lots of work questions if you want more than a yes or no answer. You'll just have an exam. You just take them to the lavatory and you have sex with them. Weird not having anybody come on you. Hey, we're back. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Mary. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I am speaking to you from my bed, which is the last bit of furniture left in my flat because I'm moving. That's right. You're having a John Lennon bed-in situation. I'm having a bed-in situation. Maybe <laughs> I will change. Maybe the world will be changed by the time we stop recording. Yeah, let's hope so. Oh my god. Okay, firstly, I'm dying to ask you. Mm -hmm. This is a serious question. What did you have for lunch today? Oh, okay. I had um like a sort of lentil salmon salad from Marks and Spencer's. <gasps> oh. Um with a kind of like tangy satsiki-ish um dressing. Um, I think I have actually had that before. It's very good. It's very good because I just moved into my new office and there's an M&S quite nearby. Um, mm -hmm. And so for the first week I've been indulging myself and then soon I'll stop bringing lunch in because <laughs> it's ridiculous that I would do that. <laughs> what about you? What did you have for lunch today? Well, it's very topical. Ooh. I had brown rice and vegetables. No! <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> I know I didn't I didn't even plan it can you believe that oh my god I love that so much well I had dog food oh did you <laughs> puppy chow doggy chow <laughs> amazing oh, such I... a coincidence Sarah I really didn't know where you were going with that <laughs> like, I, was, I was really I was like pleasantly surprised by, by where you were going <laughs> it's crazy I honestly had it and um, yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, in Showgirls, when they're constantly banging on about brown rice and vegetables, I kept thinking if they're so worried about their nutrition, where's the protein? Like, Yeah, it's weird. It's like the whole thing. I mean, they bang on about a lot of food. That, like yeah. they're like you know in this when they're in that girl's when they're in Molly's trailer like they're always talking about um the chips yeah, the potato, potato chips, chips. Mm -hmm. and like it just seems to be some weird in joke that no one else understands <laughs> about the potato <laughs> chips um and yeah it's very it's just like very strange food film yeah it's like girls. uncanny like even it's, when like she she's eating the kind of hamburger in that guy's car, mm. which looks really good. Like the way she's eating it, like it looks really good. But then when when she's out with her friend, and she gets mad, she like flips the the fries and they go everywhere. And I'm like, you're wasting it. She's and what's she doing to the fries? Like she's doing <laughs> this thing where she's like tap 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 on the fries. Yeah, and it's like, what are you tapping? What's like? 
what what need what are you preparing like it doesn't make any sense also when she has mm. the burger in the car and she throws the paper away and it's like that burger's really <gasps> dripping don't throw the paper away like it's gonna drip down your hands like you're gonna smell of burger but like <laughs> that's ridiculous everything about it is so like it's so deliberately unnatural and I don't yeah. know why I guess I was actually thinking that you know Paul Verhoeven is one of my favorite directors mm. I never I never don't like a Verhoeven film same I love um, him he's amazing and like I do think that I am actually really drawn to directors that make films not in their native country mm. so I think and I kind of think that cinema should just be one big exchange program where everyone gets <laughs> sent to a different country to make a film set in that country Love because it. it like makes it makes cinema really uncanny in that way because yes. like you know Paul Verhoeven's America is a very strange America. Yes, it is. It is. It's like you're right. It's filtered through this kind of like foreign lens or gaze, mm -hmm. and maybe a lot of the things that Americans are doing from his perspective, coming from a different country, it does seem really alien. And so this is how he's literally translating it. Yeah, I think so. Wow, think that's yeah. an interesting point. Mm. I love your exchange program idea. Yeah, like there should be like a like a exchange like directors exchange program fund, but like you go to get to like go and live in another director's house, like in that oh country. My God. Just send me to Denmark right away. I need to live in Lars von Trier's house. I know. Wouldn't that be so cool? I imagine about Lars von Trier, with Lars von Trier's wife, who sounds like a great, you know, yeah. like, chat to her uh, about true crime. Everything, you know, listen to podcasts together. Everything would be great. Oh God, I need this. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's another thing we can put on our list of businesses that we um, don't have time yeah. for. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, this has been a really fun episode to prep for, honestly. So mm -hmm. we're going to be talking about excess, which is perfect because we've got a double bill of Verhoeven. So we're not just going to be talking about showgirls, but also basic instinct. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's actually fitting that we're like excessively, you know, indulging on a director's vision. It's honestly been the most intense preparation for an episode ever. <laughs> like I did it in two consecutive weekends and I made my boyfriend watch both of them. What did Alex think of Showgirls? Because that was the, his first time seeing it, right? His first time seeing it. Um, he he um, was actually quite disturbed. Yeah. I think it was actually really interesting because I sort of, you know, sold it to him as like this fun watch because I hadn't <laughs> seen it for a while. And because, you know, I'd seen the You Don't Know Me documentary, which I would completely mm. recommend to anyone because it's so good. 100%. Um, very good. And so I had that very, that sort of like that very kind of queer reading um, that, you know, the, the fact that that sort of, um, you know, the, the Rocky Horror Picture Show of it all, mm. like in my head. And I'd forgotten really what it's like. And so, like, it just got darker and darker and more and more hopeless and devoid of any hope. And yeah. Alex is quite upset <laughs> by the end of it. He was like, that was really nihilistic and dark. And I felt a bit guilty. But then he texted me, like, essays about it the next day. So oh it was obviously God. one of those films that kind of stuck with him. And that he thought he was like, his mind, I mean, I think his mind was blown a lot. Mm. So, Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he really enjoyed it in the end. And we both were like Basic Instinct, like just super enjoyable as well. Yeah, I actually almost started this episode by calling you Sarah Catherine Trammell. <laughs> I know you're a fan. I'm such a fan. 
I'm actually I'm such a fan of Catherine Trammell. She's got me through some breakups. Like <laughs> I, that's one of my breakup films. It's on the list of my prescription breakup films. Oh, because I just think she's like such an amazing character. You know, like she's, she's so amazing. intelligent. She's so independent. She writes trash. She like has a degree in psychology, but she writes trashy fiction. Yeah, like, she's incredible. But um, I have to say, Jean Triplehorn. Alex calls her Jean Triple Boner. <laughs> <laughs> um, is I'd kind of totally forgotten all of the storyline with her. Mm. Like, despite the fact that she, I knew, I remember that there was a rogue therapist in yeah. Basic Instinct. So I'm very interested in rogue therapists, yeah. but I had forgotten how much the story kind of hinges on her. And I'm, I don't know what it is, but like, she just really stood out to me this watch. And she's just, the, I just think she's so beautiful and such yeah. an underrated actress. I like agree. she's incredible so now I've kind of got like I've got like double love in that film Ooh. I love both of the female characters equally all of the fe- everyone's amazing everyone's amazing in that film yeah the casting is so good it's just you're right and Jean Triplehorn is she's sort of mesmerizing she's got that kind of very cinegenic facial bone structure mm-hmm. yeah she's really fun to look at like she's just there's a lot of fascination there for me as well. She is fascinating. Like, yeah. I think I think maybe she's like she's got quite like a surgically altered face, maybe. Mm. But in the, in a way, it makes her like I don't know, like just a little bit more. Like I think it makes her quite graceful. Like her mm-hmm. expressions change very, like very in very subtle ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also I really like her in Sliding Doors as well. The yeah, Carter, I she really steals the show from everyone because she's so good. She's so good in that. Yeah. You're right. Amazing. You're right. Oh, for sure. I mean, um, it was, I mean, I, I watched them both last night after teaching at, for the Freud Museum, like on double bill straight after teaching. And I Whoa. just sat down and watched, but it was intense. It was intense. intense. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, like I, I kind of enjoyed the excessive <laughs> quality of it. Like it just sort of made me feel like I was Maybe like a slightly like altered state yeah <laughs> it is an altered state what order did you watch them in chronologically basic instinct first oh okay that's is that how you do your watching you do them chronologically I mean to be honest with you maybe I should have finished with basic instinct maybe it would have like brought me down a little bit and mm-hmm. like calm calm down because showgirls is so unhinged and and I say that with utmost affection same you know, I, I love it love you it. know but afterwards, I really had trouble sleeping because I it was just so, I was so visually stimulated. I had the same feeling that I had after watching Enter the Void in the cinema. Yes, it is similar. I think like it's it so is. it's just so much, and like visually, it's it's incredible. But it is it, so, is. it is so much. There's such a lot going on, and There's then it's and it's on. it's like it's visually incredible, and then like the. All, there's just so much in that just doesn't make sense or like so much in it that people are saying that's weird yeah like that it just it's like it's basically just like going to another planet showgirls like yeah it, it is. is yeah it's just like you're a stranger in a strange land wow yeah totally agree mm-hmm. you know like in basic instinct when she talks about suspension of disbelief I mean I love that phrase I'm constantly using it but it's a great phrase, and I feel like I get suspension and disbelief much more in Basic Instinct because it's aesthetically a lot more consistent. Mm. Like it's, it just looks so good the entire time. The only time that I cringed a little bit was some of the dance moves when the, when they're at the club. Yeah, and Michael Douglas's V neck. Oh jumper. yeah, <laughs> he's wearing a V neck jumper 
in a sweaty club? Like, in a sweaty club. Why did you bring your knitwear to the club? Very questionable choices. This is very questionable. And the dancing, the way she's like the other, where Roxy is like looking at them, like in with her, like with her dance moves. She's like one side, the other side, one side, the other side, like, and just like, and look, like managing to look angry, like both sides. Like, it's just so good. It's so funny. Dancing is, I mean, yeah. was it? Do you think that the dancing in Showgirls and the dancing in Basic Instinct was ever good dancing? Or do you think it just is dated or do you think it was always a bit bizarre? Certainly the clubbing scenes in both movies. So like the, the when they go out dancing together in Showgirls at that club, the dancing is horrific. Mm-hmm. Like, And so I would compare that. That's on par with the dancing in, in Basic Instinct. You know, it's a club situation. So it's meant to be like you know, organic dance moves in the club. Whereas like, I guess in Showgirls, the the more choreographed, like stage dance moves Mm. seem good, but maybe it's just because they're like classic moves. Yeah, I think the stage dancing is good. I think anything that that, that the, I can't remember what the character's name is, the guy that she meets in the club. James. Anything, any yeah, anything that James is involved in is very, it's just very weird dancing. Oh my god, it's bad. And the funny thing is that he keeps telling her like, "You got raw talent, but I can make you really good." And it's yes. like, if this is what you're doing, like, <laughs> like he's sort of pitched himself as this like master of dance, and he's actually quite rubbish. He's really rubbish. Oh, oh my god there's so much to talk about there is okay well do you um do you have any um any excess related theory that you'd like to take us through first I of all do. Great. i do only the feminine jouissance okay. the lacanian theory here i think that we've kind of already touched on it but i'd rather cover it again in this session more formally because i feel like it is just so incredibly relevant to both of these movies mm-hmm. Um, and I actually think it's probably a preoccupation of Paul Verhoeven as well, unconsciously, throughout his filmography, even down to like Benedetta, his latest one. Yeah, um, actually, you know, I can see that. Yeah, like he's really interested in female pleasure and the the mystique of feminine sexuality. And yes, he certainly you know? never managed to work it out. No. <laughs> like- <laughs> no, he's never going to figure it out. He's never going to figure it out. Ever. And it's come to the point where it's almost like comical. Yeah, exactly. Like there are so many places that you can learn how a woman might have an orgasm, Paul Verhoeven, but you've deliberately decided to close your eyes to all of them. Yeah, he he really went out of his way (laughs) to like (laughs) not figure it out. But it's almost become his central preoccupation. It's become so associated with him at this point. And and maybe it's what provokes him, like the not knowing is what provokes him to imagine these scenarios that are so completely outlandish. I mean, he's actually proving Lacan's point. I don't know if he knows that. Basically, Lacan was talking about sexual difference, right? In terms of enjoyment, sexual orgasmic enjoyment. And what he was saying was that he obviously referred to this term jouissance, which is the transgression of prohibitions imposed on enjoyment. It's like that impulse to enjoy excessively, right? Go beyond what is the recommended amount of something, Mm -hmm. you know, like really like immerse yourself and like drown yourself in the pleasure of it, which paradoxically, by doing that, you end up 
feeling a degree of discomfort, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily follow that by overindulging and, and excessively enjoying something that you're just going to accumulate more and more pleasure ad infinitum. You do actually reach a point where the thing that was initially pleasurable is now painful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so jouissance is actually also sometimes referred to in psychoanalysis as the painful principle. It's a very paradoxical thing. So the result is not more pleasure, but actually pain, because there's only a certain amount of bearable pleasure that can be had. And he sort of applied this idea of the jouissance to feminine sexuality, where he actually talked about women having in relation to what the phallus designates, a supplementary enjoyment of the body, which is beyond the phallus, right? Mm, okay. So if we're talking about like phallic, the phallic function of a discourse, Lacan believed that what we have in our modern society is a phallocentric order, that all of discourse and the symbolic order is organized around the desire of man. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, the phallus anatomically has to rise and fall. It can only have one orgasm at a time, which still sounds like an urban legend. I still but don't whatever. believe that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but it ha- you know, it, it's sort of finite, right? In that momentary pleasure. So he talks about feminine pleasure as being transgressive in relation to this phallocentric order. There's this excessive quality to feminine enjoyment that they seem to be able to anatomically continue to have orgasms, you know, mm-hmm. um, like countless times. And so what he said is that as a result of this, women aren't necessarily fully subjected to phallocentric generalization and the symbolic order that we all accept that somehow women are even though we are alienated just as men are within language that somehow we are existing in a kind of satellite condition in relation to the phallocentric discourse because the discourse was not designed to reflect our desire mm-hmm. it, it never imagined feminine sexuality as a function of creating it so we've sort of been ex- expected as women to comply and adapt ourselves to phallocentric generalization, but it, it's a mismatch. You know, we don't see our own desire reflected in the discourse, which I really agree with that. I you know? agree with that too. Um, I read a lot of stuff about this in my, when I was writing my dissertation, cause I was writing mm. about like sort of all alter- like uh, sort of women's language in cinema or like, like the sort of uh, like language beyond speaking I suppose wow. in of female characters in cinema and I read a bit of Hélène Sissou who mm-hmm. really kind of took the jouissance idea and like ran with it well when writing about like women's creativity and women's writing mm. so yeah this is really interesting um, I love like, Hélène Sissou me too I love <laughs> Hélène Sissou very much um, and yeah so she like and that's actually quite interesting when you consider that both these characters are creatives Yes, exactly. So, ooh, I'm really looking forward to this chat. I know, I know. It's perfect, right? Like, it's. I love the fact that Lacan basically is like, really, this is true allyship, by the way, I think. Like, when, when it comes to, like, being a male ally to women, mm-hmm. for me, this type of theorization, like, really hits the mark for me. He's basically defining masculinity by phallic jouissance that always fails 
while femininity has access to this other unspeakable enjoyment that is beyond phallic pleasure. Like, talk God. about elevating us. It re- and it, this really reminds me of Eyes Wide Shut. Yes, so absolutely. Much. Like, that's completely the entire point of Eyes Wide Shut. Like, the excess of this, like, one-off fantasy of Nicole Kidman's, <laughs> like, completely ruins Tom Cruise's life. <laughs> like, it's just, it's amazing. And I just, I love that so much, so much. Absolutely ah. brilliant. Like, <laughs> it's, I love that, like, you know, the theorization of female eroticism, be, like being foreclosed by the male, you mm-hmm. know, and almost becoming like hallucinatory because of her surplus of enjoyment. And Lacan talked about like, and this is also what's happening, as you rightly point out in Eyes Wide Shut, like that female sexuality as a result of this process is expelled to this forbidden realm of the inexpressible that is even like beyond desire, you know? Mm-hmm. So so like women are so almost like relegated to this imaginary space of like almost being like mystical or something um, because of what they're capable of doing, you know, with their bodies. And yeah, so that's it. That's all I had theory wise. Beautiful. Well, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, do you think we should then start with Showgirls? God, actually, I don't know. No, let's start with Showgirls. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was going to say it has a more hopeful ending, but I feel like actually it has quite a dark ending when it comes to (laughs) female, like, jouissance. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah. So, okay, but let's do it anyway. Okay, so Showgirls, 1995, Paul Verhoeven. Did you look up Paul Verhoeven's star sign by any chance? Ooh, thanks for reminding me. You know what? I'm going to do it right away. Okay. While you do that, I'm going to read. Yes. Okay. Nomi, a mysterious young woman, arrives in Las Vegas with a dream of being a dancer. When the man she hitchhikes with steals her belongings, Molly, a seamstress at the Stardust Hotel, comes to her rescue and gives her a place to stay. Nomi lands a a job at a seedy strip club, but when Molly takes her to see the show at the Stardust Hotel and introduces her to its star, Crystal, Nomi sets her mind on the top job. Mm, Perfect. (laughs) Paul Verhoeven is a cancer. Oh my god, that's so funny. That's uh, so funny. Amazing, 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 amazing. Yeah, and he's been he's been with the same woman, his wife, since 1967. Whoa, that is so cool. Yeah, Martine. Good for Paul. Good yeah, for Paul. Definitely. It's sweet. I hope she's had an orgasm once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, I really pray for Martine. Same, everyone send Martine some of your erotic power. Like, Cover her name in prayers. Yeah. <laughs> Say her name next time you orgasm. <laughs> yes, jizzing for Martine. Yeah. <laughs> some sex magic. Yeah, that's, I God, Martin's going to be falling over this week. Like, Damn, what's going yeah. on? <laughs> <laughs> That's oh. hilarious. Oh, my God. So. So. So when did you first see this movie? You know what? I saw it, um, I think I was about 19, 20. Um, yeah. My friend Freya, shout out to Freya, recommended it to me. Um, 100% seriously like mm-hmm. not as a you should see this movie it's like a cult movie for its badness but mm-hmm. she was just like it's about this amazing girl called Nomi <laughs> like and I was like <laughs> cool and I watched it so I watched it fairly seriously 
And it was only really afterwards that I found out that it has a sort of a reputation for being bad. And then, you know, and for like having this kind of cult following that really, you know, that really adores its, um, its excess and its over the topness. Um, Mm -hmm. What about you? So I saw it when it first released Whoa. at the cinema. Oh, wow, that's yeah, so cool. Yeah, when I was in I high school. In the cinema. <laughs> Amazing. And what did you think? It just seems so unusual to me. Very memorable as a cinematic experience. Yeah. So it left a mark. You know, it was impactful. What was it like watching that swimming pool sex scene in the cinema? <laughs> did everyone laugh? Yeah, it was basically just people like dying of laughter. Yeah, Okay. Um, and I, I, I kept thinking while watching it that she looked like an inflatable doll. Yes, she does. Yeah. She does. The boobs. I actually, you know, since I've been thinking about boob jobs a lot, like yeah. I got a lot out of these Paul Verhoeven films. <laughs> um, I, like my favorite boob job in everything is like, is probably Sharon Stone. Definitely. Like, she has 100%. the best boobs. She's probably the most expensive boobs, I would imagine. Mm, mm. Um, but yeah, everyone, great boobs in these. Yeah, mm. yeah. I like like I like great boobs. Always have, as the, as the characters say. Yeah. <laughs> well, who doesn't? Yeah. You know. <laughs> Honestly, did you ever used to watch Saved by the Bell? Yeah, I love Saved by the Bell. I actually still watch it sometimes. If I'm I know, like, I love it. I want a bit of cheering up, or you know, like I just put on an episode. I love it so much. Me too. Like I actually think that. Um, a double bill of showgirls and the episode where jesse gets hooked on caffeine pills would be amazing oh my god it would be so good like it's the same excessive acting you know it's probably that's probably the the episode that got her the role in showgirls like now i think about it i think it's so unfair what happened what happened to her i know i know well for for listeners who don't know can tell us what happened to elizabeth berkeley basically her career was ruined Mm. completely ruined by this film um and it was very much she was very excited about it she thought that it was really going to be her big break she Mm. worked extremely hard like was extremely dedicated to this film you can see that she's acting with every fiber of her being yeah and you know and i think that's it's and i you know, I do love Paul Verhoeven, but I think it's kind of a shame, I, you know, that he, I don't know. It's, he yeah. didn't stick up for her. He didn't stick up for her. No. Mm. And like, and I, but I think, yeah, it's just, it's such a shame because I think she's great. And yeah. I just think if people had a bit more of like open mind and a sense of humor, like there are brilliant things that could have been done with her star personality, with her star persona. Yeah. After this film, like she could, he, she could have had an amazing, really interesting career, but you know Hollywood didn't forgive women very well in the nineties, mm. so it's a shame. But it is a shame. She is like now, now that she, you know, she has like a bit of a career, sort of, you know, she's like a bit of a personality, and in the, like connected to this film, she'll come, you know, she'll do. She did like an episode of Dancing with the Stars or something. Oh, yeah, I think in that uh, documentary. Yeah. Um, and like did sort of like a kind of a play on on showgirls but yeah I think her career could have been so much more and I think it's a shame I agree it is you know she deserved more yeah it's nice that she's sort of enjoying I guess a cult fame or whatever because of showgirls like people are like ironically enjoying it and it's like a cult favorite but that's not really I feel like that she deserves more than that. I do too. She really put herself out there in like, she was, I don't know. I just think she must've been so trusting because she just, she put herself out there so much. Like the scene where she says that she's on her period and then 
James puts his like fingers down her knickers, mm. uh, like to check for himself. Like, I mean, also that's like another way of like how Paul Verhoeven just wants to keep complete mystery around the female body. It's like, are we supposed to believe that she's just free bleeding? Like, is there no <laughs> tampon? Is there no set? Like, what is what? Like, what is supposed to be happening down there? But like, I think that's you know, you, I like Alex was so shocked by that. He was like, that can't have that can't have ever happened on a film before in the night in like 1995 but like like you know that's really that's that's a you know that's out there like she must have and she must have known that she must have known that she was doing some things that were really shocking actually like I don't know like when I think about the stories of Michael Pitt being like a real dweeb on the set of the dreamers like just being like you know no 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 like in America you have no idea like people do not do this like this is a you know like he was really worried about it and Elizabeth Berkeley does like far more I think on this Definitely. on this film mm. I don't know why it's like it's just very very strange like why is it even in there like yeah it doesn't really add anything to the moment because she's like such a physical character like she speak mm-hmm. kind of speaks with her body yeah. like a lot you know in this sort of if you think about like the idea of like women having a different like a slightly different language or like mm. a language that isn't ruled by you know the phallus, the phallus. I think that's so like I think like that scene is interesting in that sense because in if a woman said that they were on their period in a film usually like Alex pointed this out that it would be just like the sort of classic way to refuse the seduction mm-hmm. and like it, it kind of turns that whole thing on its head because she really is on her period and I don't know exactly what it is but there's something about like her like her body kind of speaks for her like yeah. and she's just she's just very phys- she's like a very physical person so maybe that's just like another nod to her physicality like that she's and like also like the the sort of frighteningness of like the female sexual body yeah like the overwhelmingness of it you know yeah exactly yeah exactly and the fact that this guy sees her ability right he sees that she's a good dancer and he's trying to imply that he's got something better to offer her you know, this other discipline that is like a formal because he talks about like having studied under some like famous people in New York. So he's got like credentials, right? He's like a qualified choreographer. And so he's going to be the one to induct her in the official language of dance. Mm. It's it's the classic thing that Lacan talks about that the, the, the phallic discourse wants to dominate feminine sexuality. Yes, um, because it is threatened. It's exactly the reason. It's it is actually intimidated by the kind of rogueness and the wild quality of female sexuality. It's untamable. The character of James in Showgirls, he doesn't feel that comfortable knowing that there's this kind of like this raw genius out there who's so free and so like unchained from convention, but so good and so compelling and watchable. And so desirable, whereas he has all of these like qualifications, but like, what the fuck is he doing? You know? Oh, God, it's so interesting, really, because then the whole thing is kind of the whole film is sort of about like the limited choices of a female artist. Yeah, because, you know, she can either be like exploited for her body in this strip club. Or like mansplained to in <laughs> by this guy from the contemporary dance world, or like she can have this kind of like big audience and big opportunity, but she's sort of like she's sort of blackmailed, or like she's like kind of under lock and key. 
by her Yeah, secrets. she's undermined. Yeah, because, like, at the end, they sort of, they, they think they can control her by revealing, like, her past. Her past. And that they are going to, they're going to sort of use that to make her sort of, like, you know, their puppet or, like, obedient to them. Exactly. And to me, the only time where I think she really has genuine fun living in the moment and, like, just having a blast, to me is when she's at Cheetah's. Mm-hmm. When she's doing her strip dance at Cheetah's and... She just looks so unburdened by all of these other pressures. That's her own choreography. That's her own self-expression. The people who run Cheetahs, they're they're not sophisticated people, but they do love her. They're like parental figures to her. You know, they visit her at the goddess show, remember? Yeah, it's true. It is true. I think that is true. Like she does have like, I don't know, it's all of it's kind of like give and take, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's not an ideal situation. It's not ideal. I feel like actually she is happiest in the club when she goes out to when they yeah. when she bunks off work and goes out to dance. Definitely, like, definitely. But yeah, no, the cheetahs it, it does end up being a nice, like a nice that like yeah they are like her parents when they come visit her and he's yeah like, they're so like cute. proud parents. Yeah, you know? it's really sweet and they don't kind of hold a grudge that she left them, which is really lovely. Yeah, like she does have a kind of like parental child interaction with them i mean even when at one point when she's at she does um she does use the excuse of being on her period for why she's not going on stage oh yeah if you recall. she does she says you don't want me to bleed everywhere do you yeah that's so true actually so like yeah and you totally believe that she would because she doesn't appear to wear a tampon so. <laughs> yeah. yeah she would be that girl who's just like everything in excess there's nothing moderate about her no there isn't because she is actually a genius exactly exactly and that is why she's a threat and the thing about this movie is that it probably unknowingly stages the typical phallocentric ruse which is women are only ever going to be mansplained and believe that shit for so long Mm -hmm. eventually the best way to keep a good woman down, to really like squash the flame of a genius is to pit her against other women. Yeah. Because let's face it, like in in an erotic scenario, there's no contest, you know, women will win. Mm-hmm. But if we pit women against other women, it's totally divide and conquer. That's why this showgirls culture does reflect in the movie, like women vying for other women's jobs, vying to be an understudy, hurting other women causing physical injury to other women you know Mm -hmm. yeah that's so interesting yeah it's like it's kind of also like it's it's basically these people that like these women that are like you know really creative and really like as you said perfectly happy in their creativity but then they're like put into this like construct like patriarchal construct of like capitalism essentially Like, and, you know, sort of like vying for male approval and it kind of ruins everything. Yeah. That's so interesting because I thought that the fact that she kind of ends up in exactly, literally exactly the same place at the the end of the film as at the beginning Mm. was like a mark of failure. But Mm. actually it's not. It's like she's going onwards to discover like new creative terrain. Yeah. To like try and find a place where like she can make her own life or like make her own art and like rather than trying to force herself into the all of these like constructs yeah she's literally driving away from the billboard she's already on the billboard so she did win like when the guy says what did you do did you gamble and she said yes and he says did you win and she said yes she means that 
Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. Like she literally, that's the ultimate power move is when you walk away when you're winning. Like that's when you have the the utmost confidence. Like you could stay and continue to gamble and see what else you could do. But she's already reached the pinnacle in Vegas. And it was, she said, it's not good enough for me. Yeah, and she actually yeah. did the thing that no one manages to do in Vegas, which is to quit while she's winning. Exactly, exactly. Like, which is actually quite impressive. Yeah. Like, she quits while she's ahead, really. Literally, like, she knows when to fold them. She knows when to fold them. <laughs> I'm, I'm really sorry, I can hear people kind of shouting outside my window. Oh, no, um, okay. Can you hear it's not it? coming. No, it's not on the recording. Okay, as long as it's not on the recording, then it's fine. Um, <laughs> like, anyway, sorry. Um yeah, that's really interesting. I wish she could have taken Molly with her though when she I left. know, I thought that too. I think the film does Molly dirty. I think it's it a shame does because Molly, dirty. Molly is like a Molly is like a great like a very in a, also in a very kind of happy creative bubble, mm-hmm. you know, because she doesn't seem to seek she doesn't really seek like validation no. or anything. She's very happy like making these costumes and yeah. like she's this, fulfilled. She's very fulfilled. She's like fulfilled enough to kind of share her tiny living space with someone else. It's like yeah. she doesn't have any kind of like scarcity mindset that the other women in the film like yeah. are kind of forced to have. Um, and I think it's such a shame like that she I ends know. in like a hospital bed like and that's that horrible scene. Horrible scene. And actually, if you if just that scene alone also like validates the issue of jouissance because it's not just that she was attacked and sexually assaulted by one guy it took three guys to hold her down and they presumably gang raped her yeah and that alone is very telling that that is a huge overcompensation that it takes three guys in a room they believe that's what it takes to match the energy of female eroticism yeah yeah that is crazy you know like that is that is so perverse and and like twisted that this is how they react by witnessing the capacity of feminine sexuality and th- this is this, this is the level that at which they're threatened you know they feel like it's an attack on them so they want to fight back in that way god that's so interesting that's so yeah. interesting Oh, that's such a great reading of that scene, actually. It makes me feel better about that scene. Because yeah. I, was, I was a bit shocked. Like, I was like, oh, I don't remember it being this bad. Yeah, it was horrible. So bad, like, so frightening and upsetting. Um, mm. But yeah, that totally makes sense. It definitely makes sense. I feel like what Nomi does in return isn't isn't enough. No, I agree. Um, I, re- I remembered that being a much more pleasurable moment for me like when I watched it when I was young like yeah and then I watched it as an adult and I was like why didn't she like she had a knife why didn't she stab her yeah like and yeah. what about the other two guys you know like it was it felt like it felt like it wasn't enough payback it wasn't because those other two guys are just sitting comfortably outside they didn't even get a, a look in like they, they were excluded from the retaliation yeah I suppose maybe because like without their leader they're like kind of emasculated sure um yeah maybe like it's that kind but of I agree it wasn't yeah. enough it wasn't enough it wasn't enough but still that's actually yeah that has made me feel better about that scene though that mm. that's like yeah it sort of speaks to like the it speaks to the intimidatingness of female jouissance yeah exactly exactly like it's so fucking sad that it still has to be interpreted as a threat and intimidation when it literally can just be enjoyed. 
Yeah, they're just and she's so beautiful. Uh, also, what happened to that actress? Like, I know she's not really in very much either. I think this film kind of it, annoyingly yeah. like a, a film about like these genius, creative, artistic women. Mm. Like you know, at least two of them didn't really get very much many roles after that, and they're so beautiful and so like yeah. vivid. Um, and who's the who's the woman that plays Crystal? Oh, Gina Gershon. Gina, yes. Um, she, I mean, she's like was quite famous already. I assume. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So she, I feel like she, she was in Bound, wasn't she? Yeah, she's in Bound. Yeah, yeah amazing, <laughs> amazing movie. Yeah. Um, I think it came out a year later. So she's oh, like, okay, so she's doing all right. There's something there about them being so powerful together. Yeah, a rivalry between them has to be engineered. That level of talent and and grace and desirability cannot be allowed to coexist. Then it would just be like too overwhelming. Yeah. So, you know, and I feel like just the fact that they're in a show called Goddess as well. I mean, yeah. look at the look at the way that that whole show is staged. It's literally human beings dancing around and then their earth is shattered and their life is forever altered when a woman like literally emerges from the ground amidst fireworks. And then later on in the film that what the woman is like subjugated and like exactly. Tied up. Yeah. You're totally right. You're totally right. right. Yeah. Like God. it's even called goddess, like the origin of the world. Her body is like our life force. And we can't allow that. You're absolutely right. Like the whole bondage sequence is totally an attempt at at taming it. Whoa, is this the most feminist movie ever? I feel like it's like insanely Lacanian. And, and I'm dying to know, like, is Paul Verhoeven reading Lacan? Like, what's going on here? I'm sure Paul Verhoeven is very well versed in like <laughs> psychoanalysis, French feminism, French philosophy, sure. like totally. I'm sure, I'm sure he's reading. I'm sure it's Martine's influence. I was just about to say, I was just about to say that. It's totally Martine. Like, there there should be like, um, there should be a documentary about like the wives of directors. Yeah. Of like male directors. Because, you know, like, and the partners. Because like, you you always find out that they had so much input. Mm -hmm. And they're all like the kind of Vera Nabokov of these, of these men. (laughs) Like you know, someone should unmask their greatness. Like, yes. Maybe she. Maybe she's like doesn't even like films, but we've just decided that she's like <laughs> she's the person that actually made Showgirls. <laughs> Imagine she's just like an accountant or yeah, something. You know. <laughs> we've decided that she's this great like poet and yeah. you know this unsung hero, creative reservoir behind Paul Verhoeven. But oh my god, I hope no one cites us. <laughs> we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> we're literally projecting on Martine. Yeah, we're projecting so much. In some ways, it actually made me even think of Black Swan, and I was even thinking, has Aronofsky borrowed a bit from this film as well? I thought the same thing. I thought it would be a good double bill. Like, yeah, definitely a good double bill. Like, it's it's you know, the, the I I think Darren Aronofsky must have thought of Showgirls. Must For sure, have. especially like the whole bit about like falling on the stage and like people being injured, understudy, yeah, like stuff. Like doing you know? this like cel- like that is exactly the same. Like in her first performance, yeah. she falls she falls or yeah. like slips and then like but still does a great performance and everyone yeah. is happy. 
exactly it's exactly the same I don't I just don't I don't know if Darren Aronofsky like consciously <laughs> copies things but he that, he has a lot of references in his work I think he they really does. I think they just like they sink in and then he forgets where he saw them I know but yeah Showgirls yeah. is so like you couldn't like you can't forget you know things no about way. because it's just so incredibly memorable it's so memorable and unique yeah it's so unique I love the fact that she loves doing her nails yes she's I so expressive that. and creative like it's so cool and they make such a big yeah. deal about her nails and like mm. that she's you know she's not just a dancer she can do her nails too she's like a, such an artist like I love it so exactly. much yeah she's a total auteur like yeah. she's looking after like every I you know itemized thing you know on her on her persona mm-hmm. um and I I actually think that the and now I think about the rice and vegetables thing <laughs> Um, it is like about the fact that she's an outsider artist, that she's yeah. quite completely self-taught and she hasn't been to dance school and she hasn't trained, that she doesn't know what to eat. Mm. Like, I guess I think that's, you know, it's, it's quite important actually that she doesn't, Agreed. that they, like, that she doesn't know any of the rules and that mm. she's still so good and vivid and picks up the dancing so fast. She's just like yeah. naturally talented. Yeah, and the fact that she says Versace, not Versace. What's all this dancing ain't sex thing? I know. Like, is it, I don't know, like, because it's just that she turns anything she does into an art form, so. Yeah. I don't know. I think so. No one has sex like Nomi. It's just so, (laughs) so bizarre. (laughs) It's very uncanny. It's very uncanny. Oh, it's just everything's so weird. It just never gets old because it's just always so bonkers. Yeah. But yeah, amazing. Should we move on to Basic Instinct? Let's do it. Okay. Basic Instinct, 1992, Paul Verhoeven. Back at work after being investigated for a shooting, homicide detective Nick Curran investigates the murder of retired rock star Johnny Boz. That doesn't sound as cool in English, in an English accent. Johnny Boz. (laughs) (laughs) Nick's only suspect is Boz's girlfriend, crime novelist Catherine Trammell, who has written a novel that mirrors the crime. To complicate matters, Catherine develops an interest in Nick, intending to base her next novel on him. Is Catherine the murderer or is someone trying to frame her? I wrote it in I wrote it in the style of one of like the blurb of one of her trashy books. (laughs) I love that. Oh, I love this film so much. Same. It's so I love this beautiful movie. and Hitchcockian. It is. And like Catherine's outfits are the best. Oh, God. They're so good. So good. Everything. Like her I love her makeup, her mm. hair, her minimalist looks. Yeah. And actually I was just looking up Sharon Stone as a Pisces. Oh, interesting. Elizabeth Berkeley is a leo of course of course yeah i mean like she's got that mane of hair exactly yeah jean triple horn is gemini oh <laughs> interesting split personality triple personalities <laughs> triple personalities so yeah i mean this movie is fantastic have you seen basic instinct 2 by the way um i think i have only seen about half of it and I don't yeah. know why because I can't remember what happened in the end but I remember there's a scene where she like goes she like goes walks past the door of a club and someone like kind of kidnaps her and takes her inside but then it's like a sex club 
and she's like being like consensually like kidnapped and taken to this sex club and I was like wow this is amazing but that's all I remember about it so I feel like I maybe didn't finish it because I don't know what happens in the end you know what I'm going to order a copy of this movie I think we should watch it together okay that would be fun they're a therapist is it about a therapist yeah interesting yeah the whole the, ho- the just everything about the, the therapist character about Jean Triplehorn in this film is yeah. just so bonkers. Like I just the fact that she's just openly sleeping with her patient. Oh my god! Is exactly. and no one bats an eyelid. No one thinks it's a bit weird. Like I don't know, just so crazy, so crazy. It's, because yeah, like there's so many weird things about the Nick Curran character, right? Like. Mm-hmm. The fact that he, like, I'm trying to work it out. So he was involved in shooting some tourists. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. And also he's an alcoholic, a recovering yeah, alcoholic. And coke addict. And coke addict, right. And what happened to his wife? So his wife passed away. His wife killed herself. Right, that's it. Oh, my God. Um, And, yeah, like, it's a really interesting film because um mm-hmm. we just like you cannot listen to this if you haven't seen basic instinct because you gotta watch it you gotta watch it like don't be silly because <laughs> the spoilers are just ridiculous and it has so many twists and turns i had yeah. actually completely forgotten the last 30 minutes of this film i thought that the murderer of everyone was roxy mm. like that's how i remembered it i completely i absolved jean triplehorn completely because probably because i love her um mm. but like everyone in this film is a murderer everyone mm-hmm. like is that is that's my interpretation anyway is that Catherine mm. killed like and every like Catherine like collects murderers and that's mm-hmm. why she's interested in Nick because not only has he involved in this shooting his wife killed herself yeah. and he's been involved in several other shootings yeah so like the idea basically he's like a serial killer cop yeah. and that's not really paid attention to in the film but he's a serial <laughs> killer Like, and he's like constantly involved in these suspicious shootings. Like, it seems like he's a serial killer. Like, you know, (laughs) there's nothing else for it. And then she probably killed her parents. Yeah. And then Jean Triplehorn probably killed like their professor and Johnny Boz. And then, and like Roxy tried to kill um, (laughs) Nick and killed her, like, killed her parents. I can't remember. But wait, who do you think killed Nick's boss? Um, I think Jean Triplehorn. Okay, yeah. I thought so too. Because he's on to her. Because yeah, he knows about her. her past and he's obviously like holding it up, like above, he's sort of holding it over her head yeah. to get her to do things. Yeah. So, yeah. God, it's so convoluted. <laughs> it's so complicated. <laughs> but it's still, you, like, it sounds really convoluted, but you stick with it completely because it's so gripping. It really is. It's such a compelling watch. It's what I would call like trashy Hitchcock. It is trashy Hitchcock. I just, Mary, I can't explain to you how much I love trash. I know, me too. I love it so much. I would eat (laughs) out of the garbage can. (laughs) Me too. Me too. With a big spoon, with a ladle. And like, I just, and I think that I'm really scared that we're sort of getting like into an era like that's away from like the kind of trash that I really like. This sort of like soap opera like know. you know even like you know you can't even like enjoy true crime anymore without someone telling you how immoral oh, it is like I oh i just want trash back <laughs> like me too yeah <laughs> me but too. yeah at least there are at least there's basic instinct it's pure trash 
pure trash love it like, so much unapologetically so which is what I love about it as well like it does not try and have any other pretense <laughs> no no not at all it's just oh I just it's just fantastic even like I just love the covers mm. of Catherine's novels I know they're so amazing and there's and they you know what like this is something we also don't have anymore where you open the you open the cover and there's another cover underneath (laughs) and there's a cutout on the front cover what that those are amazing like why don't we have more of those bring those back bring those back like that's amazing why don't they use that in publishing anymore I'm gonna write a novel just so that I can have that like I think you if must. I if I like just read trash for maybe a month like exclusively I think I could write a good trashy novel oh my god I have utmost faith in you thank you utmost faith <laughs> in you you would write absolutely glorious stuff oh god this is what I want to overindulge in yeah like this is the excess unbridled total trash that just feels so good, you know? So good. I just love this film so much. It makes you feel wonderful. And I know. Ka- yeah, Catherine DeMille is just such an icon. I just want to be exactly like her. I know. Exactly like her. I want to have that unfuckwithable persona yes. of Catherine Tremell. The way that she like takes the piss out of all the men, all the police officers, <sighs> taunting Nick about cigarettes and like telling him he's going to like, he's gonna he's gonna start smoking again like it's she's such a piss taker and she doesn't give a fuck she does not give a fuck and she's like like all of that stuff that she does like if it was any other character it would be like weird and like needy and creepy yeah. like when she's just like i'm writing this novel about you and she's got all those newspaper articles <laughs> and like you know but she just makes it so effortlessly cool she's yeah. so, she's also a genius she's like she's such she a, genius. a pure genius it's a pure genius and like her creativity extends in all of these amazing directions wardrobe and yeah. like and writing and psychology and research and just unner- the unnerving of people she's like a renaissance <laughs> woman she really is oh. she's like I love to idolize her because she also just enjoys all of it she doesn't yes. take any any of it for granted she doesn't feel guilty like it's so funny watching the men squirm when she's like I didn't love this guy like this whatever rock star guy who died johnny like boz johnny boz <laughs> sounds terrible. johnny boz <laughs> she just says i loved fucking him that's it yeah and like the cops trying to like slut shame her you know it's so funny and she's like laughing in his face yeah it's amazing like the way that she lives her life she is pure unbridled female jouissance pure like, absolutely completely and it does hurt her like it does co- and it's exactly it what you said because it does cause her pain because she says you know everyone that's close to dies yeah and you know and it's and someone is making her someone's making her life miserable but even like she's so dedicated to jury sense that she even like gets over that like she's sort of because when she <laughs> says you know i knew this girl in university i slept with her and then she wouldn't leave me alone she dressed like me Mm. and you know and she's like really crying about it and then the next day and then when he comes and he says like oh you know i found elizabeth what's her name she goes oh how is she <laughs> like oh what's she doing now <laughs> like she doesn't care <laughs> she's just totally chill about it what's she up to <laughs> it's so funny so funny it's brilliant i mean we have got to analyze that interrogation scene oh 100 also i'm gonna share another one of alex's jokes yeah um he was like cause, like he i don't know he like blinked or something and he was like so what happened and i was like you still have a vagina and he was like like did you really see her vagina and i was like i, I guess like 
you saw like outer labia and he was like yeah. he was like majora and i was like yeah and he was like not menorah and i was like yeah and he was like majora disappointment <laughs> it's so good right that's fucking amazing so good but i do think that the fact and i'm sure that you are going to say this as well that the fact that it's such a sort of like have you seen it or not thing like that's like the scene is so famous for being like do you see it or don't you Mm. and it's so symbolic exactly yeah like female sexuality like do is it is it it, was that it was it was it or was it not like yeah no one knows (laughs) a specter is haunting them a specter is haunting them they don't they're not sure if they've seen it just and like that's just it's just perfect. It's perfect. Fucking perfect. Because no one is really ever sure that they have seen it. Like, you know, like <laughs> if you like think about like the female orgasm, like Exactly. You know, it's like it's like an X-rated Harry when Harry met Sally. It's like, was that real or not? <laughs> like, was that did I see it or not? Oh my god, that's amazing. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. That's so funny. That's exactly it. It's exactly it. It's like this constant condition of mystery. Yeah even just the topography of the scene they tell her she can't smoke in there and she's like what are you gonna do arrest me for smoking yes and she's taking the piss and she smokes anyway and the fact that like the cigarette is like a phallic object that she like turns to ashes the phallus always rises and falls in the end it always fails oh my god mary that's that's inspired (laughs) that's so good and the fact that they're all like surrounding her as if in like a forum you know and she's like almost it looks like she's on a stage or something mm-hmm. like performing and they're all like weirdly hypnotized by her and she's like taunting them crossing uncrossing her legs and sh- she is running erotic circles around these men and she is outnumbered by like tenfold yeah you know, like just the, even the structure of the scene, she's making these guys look like pathetic. She's making them look deflated. There's been some interesting phallic stuff going on with Jean Triplehorn's character mm, as well, okay. because you know, like the the sort of story is that I, I did wasn't this film like picketed by like Stonewall or like yeah. <laughs> for being for having like a gay murderer? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't think it's that she's gay, <laughs> like. <laughs> I don't, it's not really about that, is it? It's about no. like, it's about like Jouissant's envy. Mm-hmm. Like, That's what it is. And there's all there's this kind of weird, there's all these scenes because she's like, she's very much in a man's world, Jean Triplehorn. Mm. She's, you know, she's got this authority in this very kind of patriarchal, very masculine place full of machismo where yeah. like she can, you know, men, like they have to go and see her to be like signed back onto work. Like you know, uh, Nick Curran has to go and see her to be signed back onto work, mm. and you know they have to tell her things. And so she's kind of got this power. But then whenever like, but then she keeps being in the room with like these other like they they bring in other psychologists to like address the men. Oh yeah. So like they bring in, especially they bring in like an expert to talk about. Um, to talk about Catherine and what she may like the to kind of profile her and you know and, she, and he's like and the the guest psychologist is like talking in this like this this sort of psych you know this language that is really hard to understand and they like look at Jean Triplehorn for like the ink to like explain to them like in this kind of motherly way 
like so she's sort of relegated to like I don't know she's sort of she's kind of relegated by these like guest male psychologists and then it happens again when they're talking to Nick they like when they're like analyzing Nick and he's Mm -hmm. in that bit where he's like I don't look in the toilet before I flush and like all of that stuff you know I I don't wet the bed anymore like I don't know so (laughs) And like, you know, and then you sort of find out that she's kind of been em- like emulating Catherine or maybe Catherine's emulating her. But it's yeah. like, it's very clear that Je- like Jean Triplehorn is like, has her, has like her creativity or her power, like kind of deadened or like smothered by 100% by like the, the society that she's in. And the fact that her last words are, I love you. Oh, yeah. To the guy, to the guy who shot her. Yeah. <laughs> fuck Jean like you're better than this very strange you know I can understand why she went off the rails emotionally like if this is if these are the pressures she has to deal with and just even the fact that sorry go on oh also just she was actually very she was also very controlled like she she like you know like she hid her real feelings very well and I admire her for that like the way that she like that she like murdered his partner and then like stepped out of the corridor and was like, hi, I just got here. Like, it was amazing. <laughs> oh, you know, amazing. bravo. But yeah, apart from, yeah. So like to give her props, that was great. But sorry, continue. <laughs> I mean, I just find it really interesting that Nick's nickname is Shooter, you know, mm-hmm. because to me, obviously it's referring to him being basically, as you said, a serial killer yeah. in plain sight. But also, if we think of it like erotically, he shot his load. Ooh, interesting. Like that's it, you know? Like to me, that's why it's funny. Like every time Catherine calls him shooter, (laughs) it's like like a taunt. If you think of like the the archetype of female sexuality, which she really is, like she is the archetype of feminine jouissance, as you said basically like constantly referring to the guy as shooter to me it's like it really puts him in his place you know 100 and and i love the fact that he starts to emulate her yes he does like he sits in that interrogation room and says what are you going to do like charge me with smoking it's literally a double of the scene yeah exactly and like he's the one who insists that she that like the the sex that they had the night before like kind of rocked her world and like has changed her as a person. <laughs> like it's not and she's like, no, it really hasn't. <laughs> like Yeah, exactly. What does he say? The the fuck of the century or yeah, something? Yeah, the fuck of the century. Exactly. Yeah, one hundred percent. He he's basically Glenn Close in facial <laughs> attraction. <laughs> yes it's true yeah like it's just like showing up being like we can be together like, and she's like no i finished yeah. my book go away that's hilarious to I me know. like the fact that he showed up thinking and he had kept repeating this line about fuck like minks raise rugrats and live happily ever after i love the fact that she's like i hate rugrats i know that's such it's like such a te- what what on earth are you talking about like he wants to trap her yeah take away her jouissance and he kind of does Yes, he does, and that's unfortunately. it's a shame that the film, like, does that to her in the end. I mean, I guess she'll always have that ice pick under her bed just in case. Yeah. <laughs> so it's okay. Because it is, like, implied that she's, like, almost going, that she keeps trying to get rid of him because, she, like, she senses rightly that he's, like, interfering with her independence and creativity. 
Yeah. So he's clinging here. Exactly. And then as you know, and in um basic instinct two, they're not together. So she must have stabbed him yeah. or got or dumped him. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. I need a prequel. <laughs> yeah, me too. I also want a prequel for all of her little murderer friends. I know. Like that one, that old lady that she's like yeah. friends with who's gorgeous and doesn't have yeah. any lines. <laughs> it's like that's you know, that's not fair. She's I want to hear from her. She sounds like she has a really interesting story. She just like killed her whole family and doesn't know why. I want her story. Me too. Like it's really I wish that I wish that <laughs> someone had done a movie tie-in of Catherine's novels. Oh my god! <gasps> Maybe this is the trashy novel for me. Yes, it is. Ah! Sarah, because the story's already mapped out. Like exactly, we already know what the plots are, so I don't have to come up with any plot. Oh my god! You have, please do it. I'm going to. I'm going to do it on my holiday next next week in Corfu. <laughs> like I'm just going to take a big like a big <laughs> pad of lined paper and write this novel. <laughs> Write it and then we can adapt it on projections, podcast, films. <laughs> Why don't we just, we should do like um, a drama podcast. That would be really nice. Like it oh might God. be a good way of like working up to making a film if we did like yeah. audio drama. I think the listeners will definitely take to that. 100% and we can act in it. Yes. Oh my God. Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this movie, like, honestly, it hits all the right notes for me. 100%. It is... It's perfect. It's actually a perfect movie. I think so. Yeah. Really I mean, is. I'll even, even with the cringy club scene. Even with the cringy club scene, which I do kind of love. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely watchable. 100%. You know? I love how, like, she's, like, like she kind of, like, invites him and then <laughs> she invites him into, like, their bathroom stool and then slams the door on him. So funny. Like, poor Roxane. I know. I know. But, you know, not everyone has, a, like, a boundless female jouissance. I know. And, again, it's like, yeah, Roxy's, like, pitted against someone and she suffers exactly. for it. Exactly. It's always the way. They always have to divide and conquer, you know? Yeah. It's just, just don't compete with anyone. Just get on with your own thing. Yeah. And light a cigarette and just enjoy your day. Yeah. <laughs> exactly god that film makes smoking look good i know oh i can I see know. why they banned it in films <laughs> like yeah it's a look it is a look yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i feel like there's probably still so much to say about basic instinct that i think we covered all the bases i think so too i think like with this female jouissance reading then i think mm. it actually becomes very simple to watch both of these films yeah um just if like and i think that's just our reading for now i think maybe we'll bring these films back to read something else from them yeah at some point but like th that's 100 what this is about like and now so i want to watch like rewatch all of have you seen total recall yeah i kind of want to rewatch that now <laughs> because sharon stone's also in that yeah and like it was also kind of a cooler character than like the good woman like because yes. there's you know she's like the evil one isn't she but she's much she's like she's really cool I like her character in that a lot love as well. her character in that oh, yeah for so sure gorgeous as well beautiful I know I know I love her um the next topic mm. in our erotic cinema series is softcore oh I'm so excited about this one me too. This was your amazing, brilliant idea. Um, you suggested we look at Emmanuel and Paprika. Yay! 
Hey, I'm just so excited because I just love Tinto Brass so much. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know how, I don't know how, like, psychoanalytic these films are going to prove to be, but mm. they're just so beautiful and I'm such a big yeah. fan and it's really exciting to be able to talk to you about them. Likewise, yeah. likewise. It's a great excuse to watch these. I mean, I remember watching Emmanuel when... It was playing on this like French Canadian TV channel like after midnight. Oh, that's exactly when one should watch Emmanuel. I think that was probably my primal scene. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. I think that I um, was first introduced to it because there used to be this thing on Channel 4. Channel 4 is like mm-hmm. everyone's primal scene in this country. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there was this thing on Channel 4 called um, like where they would do greatest something moments. And oh, yeah. like, because I guess it was like sort of in the beginning of the 2000s. So they'd be like greatest, 100 greatest scary moments or 100 greatest sexy moments. Mm. And it was in the 100 greatest sexy moments. Really? Um, yeah. And I watched and I that was like the kind of thing that started at like nine, but just like carried on through like, you know, advert break after advert break after advert break. So I stayed up and watched it by myself. And it was in ah. there. Um, along with like loads of other really interesting things like that I just had never heard of so like someone chose when uh, Sherilyn Fenn ties the cherry stalk with her tongue in Twin Peaks Mm, and mm -hmm. like there was the postman always always rings twice with Jack Nicholson and like loads of just (laughs) loads of amazing things and then also there was like a documentary about porn about like the history of porn Um, and it was like started out with all of these like Apparently the first porn pornos were like none porn pornos. Like they were like silent movies, but they were oh nuns. Oh my God. Damn. Um, which I love. Like not real nuns, obviously, but like that's the first like storyline of like people, have, you know, people having sex on film that someone thought to do. Which I think How is very Paul Verhoeven. Very Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> so I, I'm actually going to try and find that documentary because it was very like eye opening for me. Because I didn't like consume porn at all as a teenager. Mm. So like, and then I had all this like vintage and then like, you know, it it included like deep throat and all of this stuff. So Mm -hmm. I think those two things have blurred in my mind. But anyway, those that was would have been when I like found out about Emmanuel. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And I like softcore porn because it felt like it felt then and does still feel now like very safe. Yeah. Like for me, the hot porn is like a little it's like too excessive. Mm. oh I mm. find it's like a little too much for me like I like <laughs> I like the softcore <laughs> I also find them very amusing that the director of Emmanuel mm-hmm. is called Just Jackin yeah I know <laughs> it's so funny I'm sure it's probably not pronounced like that <laughs> but that is actually what it is like seriously yeah, yeah. it is Just Jackin and you know what that's nominative determinism in action 100% 100% it is oh He's lived up to his name. And and Paul Verhoeven. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, this has been so much fun. It's been great. I'm looking forward to next time. Me too, definitely. Um, well, uh, as, as always, thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like a way to pay for your free podcast, give us a rating and review. It helps other people find us. Follow us on social and see you next time. 